Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Julie Keel, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello. And Jeff Sire. Hello, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about the 2009 movie Moon. And the quick IMDb synopsis is that it is about astronaut Sam Bell, who has a quintessentially personal encounter toward the end of his three-year stint on the moon, where he, working alongside his computer, Gerty, sends back to Earth parcels of a resource that has helped diminish our planet's power problems. Oh, that's a crappy synopsis. <laughs> Basically, they're mining the moon for helium. They've, they've figured out fusion and unlimited power and turned Earth into utopia, except that in order to do that, somebody's got to mine the moon. Yes. Well, did you see little bits of another movie that we watched in here, The Island, where basically it's sort of the same oh, – the, uh, sort of the same theory where you have um, you know on the island they were cloning you know people for to harvest for parts here they were just cloned this one guy to harvest helium for him and I guess it saved on the apparently must have saved on the cost of having to send the guy up and then send the guy back down or I don't know maybe paying him wages or something I don't think it was saving on the cost I think the uh, it was just it was too dangerous because you could see that uh, the the guy that starts the movie He's got severe radiation sickness after three years. So I think the idea is that their life expectancy up there is going to be about three years. And, uh, yeah, so they just, like, rather than put people up there being exposed to those levels of radiation, they just decide, oh, well, we'll just do clones. And then as they die out, we'll just have the others in a shielded area in the basement and bring them up as we need them. Thank you for that little bit of expertise because I was just about to rip into it (laughs) for why in the hell if we have unlimited power, can't they be launching, you know, um, craft up there to work as an Yeah, they don't come out and say it but i'm pretty sure especially the the point where the uh the okay let's call him sam or uh what was his name anyways I can't sam remember. bell yeah so, okay so so sam sam uh, alpha say, and sam, sam alpha yeah so say sam alpha he's been there for at least three almost three years he's right. almost done mm-hmm. and he's not in good shape and the point where he actually he's throwing up and his tooth comes out that's very significant because uh, uh, tooth loss is very is one of the final stages of uh, radiation poisoning. Aha! Uh-huh. See, this is why yeah. you're on the show. <laughs> okay. Because I certainly recognize that this man was dying at that point. Radiation poisoning did not cross my mind. Yeah. It well, when I got to the like I say, I always cheat and read the uh, the uh, trivia and stuff here, and but of course me, I'm always thinking uh, I get stuck on evil corporations once in a while. So I thought maybe they were inducing the uh, radiation poisoning at the end of three years to kill this guy off to bring the next guy on. No. For what reason I don't know, but Jeff's uh, explanation yeah. makes more sense. But it why does. couldn't they shield the whole thing? If they can shield the clones, why couldn't they shield the whole thing and protect the guy? Be- because, because the guy still is going to have to go out and well, work yep. in, in an unshielded environment. Yep. And it's not like the, the guy is landing on the moon. Uh, but like even, even the astronauts that, that uh, were sent to the moon, if they, at the time they, they were not aware of how significant the radiation hazard was. If there had been a solar flare that was directed at the Earth, all of those guys in that capsule 
gone, you would have been fried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they might not have, they might not have made it back home, but they would have had terminal right. cases. They'd, they'd yeah. been like Fukushima, you know, heroes, yeah. I guess. So yeah, or or more the uh, the firefighters at Chernobyl, the guys like yeah. they would turn other people away to say like, don't bother coming in here, I'm already dead. Yep. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple yeah, which, of those at Fukushima as well. So. Yeah, like when, like at my work, when we go over those case studies, like man, you get a real sense. Like <laughs> the the people who were dealing with that, those guys were heroes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, well, that's... Have, have you heard of any um, increased uh, cancer or anything uh, radiation type <laughs> things among the astronauts, or haven't uh, any studies been done or released or? Uh, well, I can tell you what we go over at work. We, they, we practice a thing called ALARA, which is low as, as low as reasonably achievable. So the idea is that we minimize our radiation dose as low as, as we possibly can, knowing that working in this industry, we are going to, to, to pick them up. That, like, it's the same principle as uh, the, radi- radi- uh, the, the X-ray technician is always out of the room when they take the x-ray because they're the ones that are they're dealing with it all the time. So they minimize you minimize your exposure at all times. But statistically um, radiation exposure is not a straight line particularly at the low end. There is a lot of evidence to support the idea that low levels of exposure to radiation is beneficial to your health because it does kill some uh, potentially uh, lethal cancers. Now, they still tell us at, at my work, just, you know, that's... <laughs> the, the case studies are, there's not a lot of them. Like, there's, a, there's a, uh, an apartment building in Japan that was built with irradiated metals from either Hiroshima or Nagasaki as the rebar. So, like, this just apartment building had people living in it for 20 or 30 years before they figured out that, oh, like there's just an elevated level of radiation. It's not really dangerous, but it's higher than the background. So it's just a kind of the perfect opportunity. Like, okay, well, the people in the building beside it, they don't have this. What's the difference? And statistically, there is evidence to show that, you know, low levels of radiation like that uh, will prevent some certain thyroid cancers and some other things. Hmm. But... This is not what he would have been exposed to on the moon. Like, we have two two big things going for us on Earth that save us from the radiation, primarily from the sun, and that's the atmosphere and our uh, magnetic uh, uh, field. Yep. And the moon has neither. <laughs> right. Yep. So. Yep. And and from what I could gather from the movie, yeah, there were regular jaunts out from base yeah. to the mining equipment to go retrieve, you know, the product. So that it was a frequent thing. Uh, you know, I got the impression it was like every few days that you would go out and, and you know, offload right. a, a, a canister and shoot it back to Earth. That's one of the things that is probably uh, the, the biggest uh, thing hindering, well, uh, one of the biggest things hindering uh, potentially... You know, setting up a colony on the moon is how you would protect these people from the radiation, right? Yeah, because they would pretty much the the easiest thing would be to uh, to live underground, mm-hmm. and then you'd have the the shielding above you. But 
you know, as as humans, I don't think we'd probably do well living permanently <laughs> in a hole. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, it, it interesting because what's the difference of living in a hole versus living inside a spaceship? You know. Yeah, but uh, even living in a spaceship, like the longest anybody's ever done that has been, what, maybe maybe 18 months? I was going to say, yeah, two years, yeah. yeah, something like that. So, yeah, okay, we haven't tried, basically. Yeah. I'm not sure if I can pull up any examples of people on Earth who have lived underground for, you know, years and years and years. Well, I'm sure they'd have to do heavy screening for claustrophobia and... Uh, they're also going to have to be very sociable people because you're going to be crammed into a small space with a you know a number of people. You're going to have to learn to get along with you know each other. It could make um, you know survivor pale by comparison, but uh, you're going to have to do psychological testing, I'm sure. Well, and that brings us back to the movie because basically the whole scenario here, spoiler, um, <laughs> is that you know again. We've discovered the secret diffusion power. In order to do that, you need HE3. In order to get that, you need to mine the moon. It's very dangerous up there. Therefore, notice Chinese company um, is going to, you know, build this station on the moon. And rather than put humans at risk, they're putting human clones up there to do the work. Um, which, you know, they they go to the whole charade of. Um, of giving them a backstory, giving them you know uh, um, family yeah. and whatever, and I, there were certain t- times d- watching the movie before you know early on, I guess before it got too deep, where I kept thinking: first off, you never put one person up there. I mean, just the laws of safety and redundancy: three people minimum, always. Um, you would never put one person on the moon by themselves ever, because you know, for instance, on this movie, the guy gets injured. You know, had he been the only human on the moon, you know, program done. Um, well, but, he wasn't wasn't entirely alone though. He had an AI it. unit. Yeah, and and if and that's the next thing at, at about that point in the movie, I'm thinking, okay, why are we bothering with humans? Why don't we just turn this all over to automation? Uh, Geordi's totally capable of doing all of this by himself. It sounds like you know why do we even need a human at all? But he wasn't. Yeah, it basically. Like, Gertie couldn't recover Sam Alpha when he was stuck in the uh, right. In Gertie's, the rover. Gertie is limited to inside um, the base. Yeah, he's on like a, a gantry system. Of some which sort. again sets up like. You know that's why you need a dispo- disposable people, right? Because it looks like he's venturing outside on a very regular basis, right? Yeah, and then at the end of the movie, when we figure out that this charade has been going on for probably no more than we'll call it twelve years. Yeah, you know, basically twelve, 12 to fifteen. I'm not. Yeah, right. the daughter is fifteen, and in the photos and the backstory, she appears to be, you know. A toddlerish, well, I, very young I, child. I I don't think he'd ever seen her. I got the impression that uh, that uh, his girlfriend was pregnant when he left because of all the pictures ah, that he had. Okay, he had no pictures of him with the daughter, right? Oh, that with could the baby. be. That could and, be. And somewhere I did read, yeah, that she was pregnant when he left. So, and she was fifteen when he made that phone call. So, so he was the fifth clone, basically. 
Well, I think, no, that one was the sixth clone because uh, I didn't quite catch it again reading the trivia. At the very end, just before the credits, they were saying something about the sixth clone, uh, Sam Bell 6 or something like that, was testifying before Congress. It was like two seconds before they went to credits. And yeah, I remember hearing that, I do, but I missed the sixth part. Interesting. Yeah, well, like I said, I kind of picked it up from the trivia. So if you go in the three years, so I mean at the end of 15 years, you would be on your sixth, sixth clone. clone. Yeah. So basically, what screwed this whole system up is the fact that two clones cross paths. Basically, one is supposed to die, and then the next one is unfrozen or whatever, and they be it. But you know, never do they meet. In this particular case, something went weird because the one that got unfrozen went out to rescue the one that had previously been injured in an accident which i thought by that time was already dead you know so yeah. it was yeah i figure uh, i just kind of figured gertie must have unfrozen him pretty much as soon as he realized uh there had been an accident because he did get out there pretty fast like you you figure he would have been dead so right yeah i was really kind of surprised actually that you know he wasn't matter of fact and there was the the thing, okay, uh, radiation sickness then too. Hallucinating part of that, because where did the the I've visions come from? I've never heard of that. Um, I would I would imagine uh, just the fact of uh, being by Solitude. yourself on the moon for three years, <laughs> you'd probably be pretty squirrely at the end of that. You know, it's interesting because while you guys were talking about Armageddon last week, is that what it was? Um, I was off in San Francisco and visited Alcatraz, including The Box, which was solitary confinement for the worst of the worst of the worst. And I was shocked, actually. I I figured The Box was, you know, this, it's called solitary confinement, right? I figured you were off by yourself with, you know, in in solitude. (laughs) Um, But actually, as it turns out, for those folks who've been there already and and realize I'm a noob at this, um, it's basically the last, I suppose, half dozen cells in in one of the cell blocks. They just put, you know, big old steel walls on it rather than bars. So yes, you're in complete blackness. Yes, you're in, you know, um, off by yourself and really can't carry on conversations. I got to imagine you could hear something occasionally. I, I, Alcatraz, as you visit it now, is a very silent experience. I, I got to believe that when you're there, it was actually quite loud, noisy, and obnoxious, and and uh, all the things that go along with that. But when you compare, they talk about the the longest time that anybody spent in the box on Alcatraz. I believe it was only nine days. You know, now we're comparing that with three years on the moon in. You know, sure, you had uh, Garrity to talk to, and you had light, and you had exercise and whatever, but man, that stuff plays with your head. And so the fact that, um, yeah, he was hallucinating. Matter of fact, to some extent, I'm surprised it hadn't happened a long time ago. And and three years is, you know, that's, yeah, I don't know. That seems uh, like a... Who was the the dark-haired girl he was hallucinating about? Was that his daughter? I have no idea. That was a good question. I only saw her a couple times. I had no clues to where that um, vision came from. I mean, that was truly made up as far as I was concerned. Yeah, because, like, the only time you saw his his daughter, like, at 15 is right at the end. Yep. And she's through that kind of of crappy black and white sort of screen on the the remote thing that he has. 
Um, and I thought it might have been her, but I wasn't really sure. Now, okay, talking about his daughter at the end, Sam Beta also got that message that Sam Alpha had initiated, right? And was basically emotionally, as emotionally affected as Sam Alpha was. You could, I mean, you could literally see the punch in the gut. Um, he actually wound up escaping to Earth and, like you say, testifying before Congress of all the stuff that's going on up there, But um, which, you know, I'm sorry, but really, uh, good luck with that because i got to think um, pretty much yeah. more than a few people knew and didn't care and figured it was the best way to go about, you know, providing and energy to the planet. What about this? Like, did they even break any laws? Like, yeah. What laws would apply on the moon? Right. Well, that's why one of the, the last things right before the credits is, you know, something about... Uh, uh, the conspiracy theorist calling into the talk show. He's he's either what was it an Ill- illegal immigrant or something, but basically they were you know discounting what Sam was trying to tell people. It's like yeah, that would that would be totally on on par too. So uh, you know again, you know get, given given that scenario, if we were presented with unlimited power, clean energy on the Earth at the price of one humans dna being you know reproduced hundreds of times up in on on the moon is that a choice perhaps we wouldn't make i mean really well and you consider the uh um uh, uh, money to be made there too cuz then yep, uh, again a- reading the trivia there they uh, you noticed when he was leaving he had a canister tucked under the, his arm and part of the plot that they didn't put bother to put in the movie was he took that canister which was worth 15 million dollars in the movie and he used that to fund you know his 3 years that apparently he was going to live uh, because uh, that's the way they wrote it. So it must be that he already has radiation poisoning and it's going to set in and, and kill him, so he'll only have a limited time on Earth. But he's going to take that $15 million to go and fund his you know life here on Earth. So that one canister, how many canisters are they sending back? Yeah. You start adding up the money. Yeah, you know, uh, usually you know, follow the money. That usually <laughs> leads you to the conclusion. Yeah, and the, and the fact that it was a private company and not in like an international effort or you know government like nasa type thing it was a private chinese company um so you know as horrible as you know the movie was from the perspective of sam bell um like i say good luck with that because you're like the only one who probably cares because if if everybody on earth is benefiting from you know, free, cheap, clean energy, and we got one guy complaining about you know the conditions on the moon. Really, yeah. good luck. I mean, as wrong well, as it might be, it, good like, luck. And that's one of those things, like, <laughs> kind of like you're saying, um, if uh, we're more than happy to let thousands and thousands of people die every year on on highways, mm-hmm. and okay, you know, like nobody really bats an eye. Just like oh, okay, our cars will get safer over time, but like there's, but you think like I think the statistics in in North America there's something like I don't know tw- maybe fifteen or twenty thousand people that die every year. Thirty to forty in the U.S. alone. Okay, so say so say thirty thousand people die every year in uh, in in the United States on the highways. Well. Transfer that to something else, like say some, you know, some plane crashes. Deep. We had yeah. one go down. Well, a, yeah, we had one plane go down. Yeah, 
And, and we like have I the- heard uh, Dan Savage interviewed, and he's and the example that he used was in the '80s when AIDS started. He, I believe, he said thirty thousand men uh, died of AIDS in the first ten years of the AIDS epidemic, mm-hmm. and nobody. Like the U.S. government didn't care, and the example that he used was there was a, during that time there was a Legionnaire outbreak, mm-hmm. uh, uh, an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease that killed six people, mm-hmm. and people lost their minds. Oh, right. we better get a handle on this. Six people die of Legionnaire's disease, right. and the whole world cares. Six 30, people died. Thousand gay men died, and yeah. nobody gave a crap. Like, Trust me, six people died getting out of bed this morning. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm serious about that. <laughs> so well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, it's uh it, yeah it's it's absolutely arbitrary what we choose to you know devote time and energy to absolutely arbitrary yeah. and um again in the well, case in, of this movie yeah. i got to believe that as a society as a planet as a species we'd have just said you know somebody shot sam bell beta and sam bell alpha beta gamma whatever's next um would be going strong on the moon you know not having a clue what's happening or, or the situation you know yeah. And that would well, be that. Well, it kind of goes back to some of the stuff that we're we're exploring, and we talked about the island. The, you know, these are clones. What's the ethical uh, expectations or behavior do we you know uh, exhibit towards these people? I mean, they may be a clone of somebody, but they are individuals. Do they have rights? And um, See, that's one of the things that I, I I a lot of you know we saw it in the island, and we see it in this where science fiction films or whatever will kind of make, oh, there's this gray area. I don't think there is a gray area. Like, essentially, they're no different than than twins. Well, one twin can't murder another twin just because they're genetically the same. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's obviously against the law. And the same thing, like, okay, just because you you happen to be a clone Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you don't have rights or you're not a human or something. Right. Yeah, I, I I don't even think that really will ever be an issue. It's like, yeah, if you're a clone, like, okay, if you're cloned from somebody else, you're a person, right? Because you could make the same arguments about artificial insemination and like oh, exactly. um, uh, yeah. prostheses, and you know, at what point do we become cyborg and blah blah blah? So yeah, no, absolutely. Like it, I think it's going to be a, oh, it looks like a duck, uh, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Like it's just like okay, well, you're <laughs> you were you were born, you're. A person, you know, like, yeah, but doesn't what, matter what, how that ball got rolling. It's just what's going to have to change, though, is the legal system, because uh, you know, you know, because a clone—that's a different sort of a thing. Because a, 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 oh, a regular human being, let's say, has a mother and a father and is born. Well, a clone, uh, you know, from what we've seen for most of these movies, is grown, you know, in like a big petri dish or something like that they don't technically have a mother or a father they are you know a clone of somebody else so now you're gonna have okay, to what start if you de- never what if you never knew your mother or you never knew your father does that mean you're not a person or no but you came from a mother and a father though so did a clone so, but, but so does a clone <laughs> no but from a, they came from a cell from a petri dish they can't no they came from another person well, who provided that cell, cell for the well. no, yeah. yeah, but they have nobody. What I'm getting at, though, is that they didn't have, they weren't given birth to by another human being. So they you could argue C-section a isn't a birth, too. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's, no, but just they a, still... it's a rabbit hole. I mean, it's a total <laughs> well, rabbit hole. But like I say, this is the kind of stuff that the legal system is made of, is rabbit holes. Yep. Uh, and you're going to have to start redefining legal definitions, well, you know, but morally I, but and ethically. Because, because we've, never, we've never redefined them yet. Like w- yeah. w- when, when we started doing you know, 
when cesarean births started becoming more common. We didn't start redefining then. I think we've, as a species, we've always looked at the end run. We've said, okay, well, this is this is a you know intact person that is alive. You know all that. Like, okay, how were they? How they got to this place? We've never kind of adjusted that line. We've never. Uh, yeah, I don't think the legal system's that. got a problem with it because the legal system just hasn't dealt with it. I mean, you're a human, you're a human, period, end of story. So I don't know if we've even crossed that line yet. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if the legal legal system is always behind on technology. If you know, if I if I had a clone and it showed up next to me tomorrow, the legal system would take twenty years to catch up. Yeah. You know, so. But like we even define it, we almost go in the other direction where somebody who's in a vegetative state. They try and cling to that, saying, "No, no, no, that person. We can't take that person off of life su- support because they're still like, you know, that we've got to keep them alive." You know, yeah. um, I, I I think that it's 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 going in the other direction. Uh, generally, that's what the legal system is doing. Well, it's and according to this fault. movie, I don't know that the legal system. We don't even know what the legal system thought yeah. of this. We really don't. I mean, that wasn't even part of the movie whatsoever. Other than the fact that this one company, um, whether legally or not, again, we don't know, had essentially hundreds of clones stored up on the moon. And and the one thing that crossed my mind looking at that corridor was, you know, we, we talked about this before. A clone is not like a twin of you. It's a copy, and it will... It, won't have the same memories and it, same scars and same, you know, types of things. Um, whereas in this case, the, the way the movie presented it, it really did present it as the, you know, fictional clone, as an exact copy with the same exact memories, same exact knowledge, you know, to be able to pick kind up right where you left starting, off. The yeah. same starting point. Yeah. Well, I got the feeling from here that they were implanting the memories, so they were... Yeah. They would start with the same set of memories, but I don't know if they'd necessarily came out exactly the same but i would think that if you're starting with pretty much the same memories and pretty much the same person that you may develop at least along similar lines maybe not exactly but uh, well obviously it only took six iterations before something wasn't the same (laughs) because the sixth one out you know broke the the string Um, well well with a little help from the ai there um because gertie seemed to develop some sort of a conscience feelings for him um, I think t- that uh, I think that could have been uh, the, a conflict in Gertie's uh, I don't know, programming or whatever you call it like I think Gertie had been programmed and he said that like he goes I'm programmed to assist you and I think that his his uh, not desire but like his uh, his it seemed that assisting him was his primary function, and deception was not the primary. Like he was supposed to try and obviously, you know, keep things under wraps. But once it got to him asking direct questions, he he told him what was going on, right? Yeah, and I think there were some things that Gertie was under direct orders not to tell. But if he wasn't under direct orders, it seemed like he had certain amount of of leeway as far as what he could communicate and whatnot. I don't I don't know that there was anything that he didn't tell him once he got down to it and you know once he kind of maneuvered Gertie into a corner, Gertie kind of seemed to give pretty much give up everything, right? So did Gertie follow the three laws of robots? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't think so because uh, uh, 
you know, like that whole thing of like <laughs> more well, or less lure, luring in, him into the box that would, you know, incinerate, incinerate him. him. Yeah. Well, I think what we're seeing in Gertie, though, is probably the opposite of what we saw in Hal in 2001. Hal did have a discrepancy in his programming. That caused him to go mad um, because he was supposed to lie to the crew about what was going on. Well, Gertie didn't have any of that, so he just kind of spilled beans and was helpful to uh, to Sam, whereas Hal, you know, tried to kill Dave. Um, I, I don't think you. Uh, I don't think you can say Hal went mad. Hal well, followed his programming because Hal Hal knew uh, I can. I can complete this mission on my own, and I am supposed to keep this uh, the secondary mission a secret. So then it came into a conflict between right. those two things. It was like, oh, they're asking me questions that I'm not allowed to tell them, but and I can complete this mission on my own. So what I should do is eliminate them. I don't think it was it was that was an extremely logical choice to kill the crew. Basically, Hal couldn't resolve conflicts. Very well. I mean, that's no, so, what it boils because down to. Because if I eliminate to. the crew, they can't ask me questions. Right. Well, you resolved the conflicts. It just well, kind of sucked for the crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he did resolve the conflict, didn't he? <laughs> He'll just yeah. get rid of the conflict. Uh, funny. But, yeah. You know, with all of that background, the island and Hal and, oh, gosh, even Space Odyssey, um, you know, this this particular movie... I I knew nothing about it. I mean, I, I remember sitting down, starting to watch it, and going, "Gosh, I have no expectations for this. Good, bad, you, or otherwise." You, you hadn't seen it before? No. Oh my gosh! No, no, <laughs> I, no. So I, had, I hadn't seen it either, but I've heard good rumblings about it. Oh so. yeah. I had heard it a few nothing. years ago. I, it's, it, yeah. I really, really liked it. Yeah, and, and so it, it's it, another good one. It, it, <laughs> we keep going back to Europa Report, but it's kind of like Europa Report in that was it's a fairly low budget film, but it still looks really, really good. Yes, I yeah. want those corridors. I want these um, portals. You know where Docking Bay One, Two, Three. Oh, that was something else. I didn't put it in the show notes, but I thought it was very um, telling that they made a point to say. That they were on the far side of the moon. Yeah. And then when they showed from the air, you could see that they're more or less strip mining the surface. surface. I'm like, I, I bet that's the whole point is that we don't want to ruin our beautiful view of the moon. So they're purposely put all these mines on the other side right. so that they wouldn't screw up the, the well, aesthetic value of the moon. <laughs> plus, if they're doing something kind of not so kosher, it's a lot, much easier to keep it a secret if you don't have a bunch of yeah. telescopes you know, pointing up your direction. Yeah. Now, the one, like, they don't actually say anything really at all about what the, like, what the, the activity level is on the moon, like, how many other people are up there, like... Yeah, you, you get the really impression it's just only, him. Yeah. You really do get the impression it's just him. Well, where did the rescue crew come from? Well, yeah, I guess they're the rescue crew. Did they come from they say, Earth? I think they said they came from Jupiter or something. I thought, I, well, there was a signal from Jupiter. Yeah, so, which yeah. I didn't follow that. Like, that struck me as there might have been a little bit more there that they kind of edited out or something. Like, there seemed to be a little bit more to, to that conversation that was missing or something. Yeah, and you got to think that there's uh, more than just the moon available for mining. So, yeah, who knows? It's There's a lot of, assu- well, not assumed, but there's a lot of um, universe or environment questions that don't, have to be answered to make the movie work, so they don't, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, and, they uh, walk that, 
they walk ahead, that please. fine line where they uh, they have just enough science to make it believable, but not so much that it screws up the the movie. So uh, yeah. they did that well. I looked up a little bit on helium three, um, and I thought that was kind of interesting. That uh, it's pretty much exactly what they show in the the movie. That uh, there's they don't know for sure, but they they believe that. Uh, uh, there are deposits of helium three that have uh, been deposited on the lunar surface, like in the in the the dust. Um, that's part of the solar winds. Just over millions of years, they will have accumulated, and it it looks from the things that I read that the what they were doing is essentially a great big lawnmower that would, you know, <laughs> suck up the cup maybe top couple inches uh, of uh, of lunar dust. And then uh, siphon out. It, that looked like, uh, from what they said about where you, they would find, uh, you'd be likely to find helium three. That certainly seems very feasible in uh, what they were doing. Interesting. Well, and me being the uh, the former farmer here, I was looking at it, going, "That looks strangely like a combine." combine. <laughs> yep. Where you're <laughs> yes. sucking up at one end and blowing it out the other. Yeah. And taking out something in between. Yeah, that did. It still kind of blows my mind that they would have just one although if you're doing a, you know we'll call it a surreptitious operation like that then it actually makes sense to have only just one person up there because the minute you got two people up there they start asking questions and whether they're an identical clone or there are two separate clones but the, you know if the minute somebody dies and gets replaced you know the other one has questions so the only way they can pull this off is to do it one one clone at a time so basically what you're saying is your clone sleeps alone. <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. You know, the one thing too that I understand, we're you know, when you, if gravity did a heck of a job of of portraying weightlessness on film, but it's really hard and it's really expensive and this movie I'm guessing didn't have a huge budget. So yeah. the the only thing that I that occasionally would I'd go really um was the depicting essentially full gravity in the in the moon base, I was yeah. like, "Yeah, sure, you're running." I I, th- I thought about that when they were when I was watching it, but you can't really fault them. No, like, I can't uh, either. And, and and they made it they made it pretty distinctive. Like, okay, when we're in the base, we're just gonna do like you know standard movie. Earth gravity. Yep. But then when he was out in the suit, you could see he was doing like your typical moon yeah. moon bounce. Yeah, yeah, which works, you know, because it it to some extent in this movie. It, it's putting the moon bounces in it would have probably taken you away from the story. I mean, I, okay, I just saw Gravity last week, and of course that was all about weightlessness and and putting putting actual you know gravity in it would have ruined the story. This movie is the opposite. Putting weightlessness in it, um, you know, it would have dist- distracted from the the main plot, which is clones and dying and industry and whatever yeah and and you know kind of talking about the movie this movie was made for five million dollars and i think it was shot in 33 days yeah i've got to imagine this thing was i i didn't know what the budget was but looking at it you got one actor (laughs) 
Yeah. You, you got you got like limited set. You have like three different sets, and then some CGI with some outdoor, you know, moon shots, whatever. But I mean, if you want to do a cheap movie, science fiction is is the way because all you have to do is come up with a couple of different rooms on a spaceship, and that's all you need. Yeah, they but, probably had Kevin Spacey come in for like two or three days of uh, no, uh, work on a mic. Yeah, half a day. Yeah. Half, yeah, a oh, half a day, that was it. <laughs> yeah, he read the script. He wasn't going to record anything, so he read the script and wanted to make sure it was uh, good, and he liked it so much that he just came in, and in half a day he you know, spoke his lines, and they edited it into the movie. So Awesome. Wow. Awesome. Uh, but, you know, you know, look at the special effects in there, except for maybe one thing, and maybe it was just me looking at it wrong. I didn't see any of the special effects that pulled me out of the movie. Um, you could feel, you know, you felt like that the, they all kind of worked together. That it was all cohesive. Um, you know, there's this one thing where they were coming down the ladder, and uh, you know, the, the two clones are there, and it looked like maybe I saw a little bad CGI there. But beyond that, okay. um, uh, I, you know, I didn't because some of these movies, uh, bad CGI will ruin a good story. Uh, but I didn't really see too much of that here. Well, they were dealing with a double. Um yeah. whammy on this one because not only did you deal with uh, space you know and, and that type of CGI but then you were dealing with clone you, know, you had the yeah. same actor appearing twice on the same film I'm, so and how I'm about sure the they, fact that they did that so well like it, I like when they were playing ping pong with each that, other that how the hell did they film <laughs> that uh, did they have a yeah. I mean seriously does this guy have a twin <laughs> I, well they like, did have you know, a, a body double but right Right. But you know, a lot of those times, like when you, you see the old Disney movies or whatever, right? You can see that there's a line between them where they've just kind of like taken the two yep. halves of the screen and put them together. Yep. Like they had times where they were exchange, they were passing things to each other and like, wow, you and you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they did some of the stuff. Yep. I agree. It was, like you say, usually there's some sort of line in the environment uh, the edge of a wall yeah. or you know something that is yeah, the, exactly. the the marking between one and another i yeah they however they did it they did it brilliantly cuz it really that too can pull you out of the movie trying trying to figure that out and how they're doing it and and it never it, it i thought about it like once just because it was it was like oh my gosh i'm not thinking about it well carry on with the show so you know um they did they did that quite well yeah, so uh, you know, I'm kind of getting the feeling that we all we all like this movie. You know, it seems to be a good movie, and it seems to be a, a fairly sound one. Are we kind of putting it, you know, maybe in the same league as like Europa Report, where basically decent science, good story, uh, good plot? Yeah. I de- I'd say definitely. Yeah. Well, nothing gets quite as high as Europa <laughs> Report, but it's certainly one of those ones that when you're done with it, you're, you 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 stop and go, okay, think. You know, what does that mean about cloning? What does that mean about mining the moon? What does that mean about you know, a sacrifices as a society again. One clone, oops, up on the uh, moon, versus you know everybody having free and cheap energy. So, is it something we'd choose or something we wouldn't choose? Was it okay? I mean, is it ethically, morally okay to do that? I mean, there's the big question. The other kind of the dark side of the moon movie that we did was Iron Eagle, where they were you know uh, they were helium three oh, and God about that one. Yeah, I kind of oh, Iron Sky. Iron Sky. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And you know it was Nazis on the moon, but it was H three and it was all this other kind of stuff. You know it, they're you know two different kind of movies. You watch Iron Sky because it's a you know a fun you know kind of well I don't know if it's exactly fun, but it's a a parody or um, you could have a little fun with the movie. 
Um, it, was, it was a farce. A farce. There's there a lot of similarities, though, between that one and this one. I mean, I could see where somebody had watched that one and said, well, that's a really interesting idea. Let's do a serious version of it, and then came up with Moon. Well, yeah, I mean, if they were to take Iron Sky and try to make it you know, a little more scientifically sound, yeah, you, you, you could kind of come up with uh, uh, Moon. You know, they weren't necessarily dealing with cloning, but they were dealing with, you know, creating the master race or whatever. So, Well, there's also some elements of the first Alien movie in this, because I know when they wrote the first Alien movie, the idea was it was truckers in space. And this is very much like this is an industrial setting. It's just a... A, essentially like a guy working at an industrial plant uh, where he's the only employee on site, right? Okay, and, let's... And that kind yeah. of thing, it just happens to be on the moon. Well, and if and you make that... Yeah, then this becomes your Chinese, you know, Foxconn factory where, you know, rather than having thousands slash millions of people building iPhones and, and PlayStations, we've got one guy, you know, mining H3 for, you know, unlimited free power... Um, he showed. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have to think twice. This is so. This could so happen. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, you know, like you say, um, you know, I guess you could, you know, so we uh, make sure we bring it back to Star Trek. You know, the uh, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few here. Maybe, you know, maybe it, it would it be worth it to have a, you know, they never said what the conditions were like on Earth, but it seemed like you know the uh, environment. You kind of got the feeling maybe the environment was clean. Um, maybe I don't know if there was necessarily world peace had been you know um, achieved, but it just seemed like uh, there was a, a cheaper, cleaner way of doing things. Maybe the economy is starting to prosper or whatever. So I mean, you know, then it does become you know the ethical question does become: Is it worth it to have this you know these clones dying over and over again if it does bring? what we kind of seem to think happened in this movie, that the Earth was a better place for this. And we don't know anything about the original Sam Bell. For all we know, he volunteered. For all we know, he said, you know, take me, you know, make make 200 copies of me, you know, put me up on, in exile on the moon and, you know, well, let me bring When he was talking to his to daughter and she called, she called to her dad, do right. you think that was the original Sam Bell? Or, that, or, yeah. That's what I was thinking. That yeah. they may have cloned him. He stayed on Earth, and then they sent the clones up there with his memories and his, you know, family. He may have been the, you know, the prototype, the one that, uh, the, the basically the shell, the uh, cast that the others came from. Uh, and so he just was. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they did enough psychological testing that this guy seems like he can deal with stress. And so, you know, if we take his memories and plant them into his clone, hopefully this guy will last three years before, you know, his body rots and he dies. And, you know, all you need is for him psychologically to last three years. Um, so maybe this is the guy that they thought, hey, you fit the bill. Can we take some of your cells, your memories, um, you know, use your uh, family uh, in this here and we'll pay you like, a, you know, oodles of money or something. Um, that's kind of the feeling I got from it. Yeah, although you didn't get the impression that they were like his daughter was well off. I mean, they was looked like middle class. Mm, I didn't see a lot of the apartment there. I mean, no. yeah, it wasn't like gold uh, gilded everything everywhere. But right. um, and we don't know what living expenses are you know on the earth at that time. Well, um, yeah, and I guess again, if we had free unlimited clean energy, everybody'd be upper class. So what the heck. Mm. Yeah. Have you guys heard of uh, this? Is a long, uh, similar topic, but have you guys heard of Henrietta, 
Henrietta Lacks? No. Um, she's an African-American woman who died of, I believe she died of some sort of tumor in the late 50s. But the tumor that she had had some, where it is, uh, okay, the, the tumor cells were cultured by George Otto Gray to create the first known human immortal cell line for medical research called the HeLa cell. So what ha- uh, unknown to her, they extracted these cells from her tumor. She died, and the medical industry, like a lot of, uh, I am not very knowledgeable. Like sourdough like, yeast, except yeah, for humans. Like, exactly, and and uh, uh, then they patented these cells, and people have made billions of dollars off of this. And her family was not even aware of it until. Like I think maybe the 1980s or yeah, something. Yeah, like 50 years later. Yeah, years. and and they uh, uh, like they said the court said that no, oh, no, you're not entitled to anything. Like so, I just kind of like I, I you know, we're we're kind of in this transition phase, like going forward to things like uh, cloning and that, and like I just you know, I just wonder where you what are your rights even to your own body, right? Well, or to biological life in general, because I'm trying to think. I, th- I believe the Supreme Court threw out a patent on uh, that had been created for biological material. I believe yeah. Some- single cell organism. Somebody tried to patent, wasn't it? Right, and yeah. you know, uh, you know, and that is you start thinking along that lines. That is a scary thought. If you can have big corporations start to patent things, I mean, um, um. I can't remember if it was a movie that we watched or if it was one that I watched on uh, television that basically these guys uh, had, um, maybe it was on a TV show I watched, um, these guys had um, organs that had been grown by a, or produced by a company somewhere. They fell behind on their payments and basically yeah. their organs got shut off. That's a movie with Jude Law. I'll just, you keep talking, I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah, well, well and I think it also seemed like a storyline from that show I watched, Almost Human, uh, where uh, it's in the future and they're dealing with companies and corporations. And, um, you know, you can grow body parts. You can have uh, artificial um, bio limbs, basically. And I think the premise of that story was basically the same thing, that uh, um, they had gotten basically, I think, black market uh, organs, and they fell behind on their payments. Yeah. So suddenly, uh, uh, their organs were being shut off. And they had to track down, you know, what was going on there. Yeah, um, it's called. Uh, it's a movie called Repo Men. Hmm. Okay. Put I, it like, on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, it'd be another can of ethical worms for us to open up here, but uh, you know. But where do we get to the point where, if you know? Um, with patents and intellectual property and all this stuff, that suddenly corporations could start owning pieces of our body. I mean, it's one thing. We've had fights over music and movies and who owns the rights to them, who owns, you know, the, you may own the physical copy, but you don't necessarily own the rights to to that stuff. What if we start putting that internally in, you know, our organs? What, you know, if we don't own the rights to, you know, like a replacement part in us? Yeah. Uh, you start, you know, thinking about possibilities like that, and you know, then my paranoid mind starts to run a little wild here. Well, thankfully, we'll all be dead. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that to our uh, next generation. Yeah, because if we missed a payment, well, you know, that's it. We're done. So, yeah, crazy talk, crazy talk. So, Moon, any technologies you guys want to take home? 
Oh, I think the idea of having uh, helium three uh, fusion reactors would be would be just a capital idea. That'd be wonderful. There you nice go. Nice clean under clean energy. Well, the idea of you know international harvester in space kind of gets the old farmer here <laughs> excited, but. Uh... <laughs> I might have to go with Gertie, though, but we have to improve the user interface because I'm sorry, but emoticons, no. Emojis? Yeah. Let's just, we need to do better than that. That was pretty that pathetic. Was, Kevin Spacey has a very calm, relaxing voice, though. I would, I would, oh, yeah. I would like to have uh, an AI with his voice. That would be great. That would work. Just, just a better display screen. You know, we can, we can do better than that. So. Yeah, but whose face would we want on it, though? <sighs> well, your own, apparently. You know, you can get two hundred copies of it. Just strap it right mm. on there. No, that'd be creepy. Yeah, I know. It totally yeah. was creepy. That was interesting. We didn't even talk about the fact when these two two clones first met, how they interacted with each other. Hello, men. Welcome to the fist fight every single time. There's two guys, you got to have a fist fight, right? Anyway, but um, they, they really well, didn't I, like I, I each like other. I like the fact that when he first sees him, he, he, does, he pretends he's not there. Oh, I know. Like, okay, I'm not going to look at him. I'm just going crazy. Won't shake his hand, won't do anything, just wants to ignore him. It takes a long time, actually, to get those two to warm up to each other. I guess I never considered it a case of denial. I thought it was a little weird there because, you know, if I saw myself walk through the room, I think I would probably have a major freak-out moment. But maybe it's just keeping it internally and trying to figure out what was going on. But I don't know. I thought I would have done it differently. But it, I guess it worked in the movie, so, we'll, you know, I won't quibble over it. But Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Th- I mean, if you actually saw yourself walking across the room after you woke up from the dead faint... What would you, how would you interact with it? You would call it it because you are you. You are not, I mean, that whole business of, no, I'm Sam. You know, you're the clone. No, I'm the clone. You know, that, that that to me felt real. It's like, no, I know who I am. Who in the hell are you? So, anyway, we're going to wrap up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at SciFiTechTalk.com where there's some cool space junk available for purchase. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have ideas or comments, please send them to Sci-Fi Tech Talk at gmail.com. And reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Mike, where can folks find you out in cyberspace? Well, you know, after listening to this uh, show, I feel like listening to Pink Floyd, The Dark Side of the Moon. But when I get done with that, I'll probably be posting on Twitter. And you can find me there at DSC Chipman. And uh, you can find any of the other things that I do on my about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. And Jeff, where can folks find you? People can follow me on Twitter at Broncosire, S-Y-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter as well at Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L. And links to the other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I might have going on can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. That's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future.